Today's passage is in Matthew on page 811 in the Bibles around the room. I will be reading this passage in Spanish because we are grateful God has made his word available to all tribes and tongue. At the end of this reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will respond with, thanks be to God. No os hagas tesoros en la tierra, donde la polía y el orín corrompen, y donde ladrones minan y hurtan. Si no haceos tesoros en el cielo, donde ni la polía ni el orín corrompen, y donde ladrones no minan ni hurtan. Porque donde esté vuestro tesoro, allí estará también vuestro corazón. La lámpara del cuerpo es el ojo, así que si tu ojo es bueno, todo tu cuerpo estará lleno de luz. Pero si tu ojo es maligno, todo tu cuerpo estará en tinieblas. Así que, si la luz que en ti hay es tinieblas, ¿cuántas no serán las mismas tinieblas? Ninguno puede servir a dos señores, porque o obedecerá a uno y amará al otro, o estimirá, estimirá a uno y menospreciará al otro. No podéis servir a Dios y a las riquezas. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a merciful God and an and a understanding God, despite our inability to follow your commands on a daily basis. I pray for our hearts and that our treasures lie upon you and nothing else. I thank you for Andrew Poe, who has been preparing this word, and I ask that you open our hearts and minds to receive all that you have prepared for us to hear, and that we may draw closer to you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Seated. Uh, thank you, Stephanie, and, and thank you also um, to the band. I feel like the songs this morning really kind of set the tone for the message uh, from God's Word, so I appreciate that. Um, my name is Andrew. I'm, I'm one of the deacons here. It's my privilege to, to get to serve in that capacity, and uh, this morning I'm really excited about bringing God's Word to you. Um, today I want to encourage you to store your stuff in God's heavenly house. Store your stuff in God's heavenly house. The reason that that's important is because where your stuff is, is the true indicator of who you really are and whose you really are. So store your stuff in God's heavenly house. Did you know that you will live forever? Think about that for a minute. You will live forever. Not down here but you will live forever. In Matthew 25, Jesus presents uh, this teaching on a judgment after which everyone who has ever lived will either enter into eternal life or into eternal punishment. So you will live forever. But we're so short-sighted. We, we like to live for now. I think our society, our culture kind of encourages living for today, living for now. Um, in fact, I was looking up a, a CNBC study from this last summer. It said 20% of Americans don't have even a penny saved for retirement. And about 42% of us have less than 10,000 saved for retirement, which I guess if you want to retire for a handful of months, you'd be okay. But, but the reason I bring up that study is to show like, we're not even thinking a few decades ahead, but we're going to live forever. And so I would submit to you that even if maybe you are planning for retirement, you're not planning nearly far enough ahead. 
you're going to live forever. So we need to be planning for forever. But as Christians, sometimes I think we, we get this train of thought in our heads. We, we tell ourselves, well, my faith and trust is in Jesus. So like, he's going to get me to heaven. I don't have to worry about heaven. I don't have to think about heaven. I don't have to plan for heaven. And, and part of that is very, very true. Jesus is the only person who will get you to heaven. You can't add one thing to getting yourself to heaven. Jesus paid it all. And so, so as I'm speaking this morning, like, don't hear me say like, yeah, you got to earn your way to heaven. That's not going to happen. Only Jesus gets you there. And the Bible tells us this over and over and over again in passages like John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's the one who believes in Jesus who inherits eternal life. But we take this very true biblical precious reality and then we make this conclusion that's like, oh yeah, I don't have to plan for heaven now or I don't have to think about it. Like, you know, it'll all be okay. The New Testament does not agree with that conclusion. Uh, The New Testament specifically, like chapters like Luke 12 to 16, Jesus largely devotes uh, that, those chapters to telling us like, no, get ready for heaven. And the text today is the same thing. It's in the same line, like store up your treasure in heaven, treasure that I believe you will have access to after death. Like it's not just like immaterial stuff. And so that's, uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Jesus wants, to be, uh, wants us to be storing our stuff in God's heavenly house, laying up treasure in heaven. Let's read verses 19 through 21 again. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is the ultimate financial advisor. Uh, The reason that he's the ultimate financial advisor is because he created everything, including wealth. And so if Jesus says, don't put your stuff down here, store it up here, we're really wise to listen to him. Uh, You might say he has insider information about where the best place to invest your stuff is. And he says, it's not down here, it's in heaven. Um, I think that this is really a word for us today to stop storing, stockpiling, accumulating more and more stuff, valuables, possessions, treasures here on earth. I mean, if we walk through our houses, and I mean, I did this, this this last week. It's like, wow, I got a lot of stuff. I mean, literally, like my master bathtub is filled with stuff, so I can't even take a bath in there right now. Um, but like, isn't that the way it is? Like we walk through our garage and we go into our walk-in closets and our storage units and our storage sheds, and like there's just stuff everywhere. We're a society that is glutted with stuff, and we're always being told, you need a little bit more. If you just get this, if you just get a little better one, if you just get a little newer one, uh, a little bigger one, then you'll be happy. And so we, we, we buy into this lie and we accumulate more and more and more and more. And Jesus is saying, don't store up treasure on earth. Now, some of you may already be thinking like, well, I don't really like store up treasure on earth. I mean, I have a hard time just paying my bills at the end of the month, I'm not buying excessive stuff. May I submit to you that maybe the reason you have so many bills at the end of the month to pay off is because you have so much treasure. 
you have so much stuff. That's why you have so many bills. I mean, I think about it. Things that our grandparents would have considered to be luxuries, we consider them to be necessities. Uh, and, and so even if you are just scraping by, like you still are a very wealthy person. And, and for most of us, that the reason we're just scraping by is because we have a lot of luxuries. Um, <laughs> I mean, the Bible says like, basically, you know, give us uh, food, clothing, and shelter. And with that, we're going to be content. But uh, that doesn't fly in America. We're not content with just food, clothing, and shelter. Um, so Jesus is calling us to store up treasure in heaven, not here on earth. But before we advance Jesus' argument, I want to just stop for a moment and say, the Bible never comes out and just flatly condemns wealth. Uh, I mean, like, think about it, right? Abraham, very wealthy man um, who loved God. Job is another example. This guy had a ton of stuff and, and, and his heart was totally devoted to God. Even when he lost it all, like he didn't curse God. He's like, no, I mean, I don't get it. I'm gonna ask some questions. I'm gonna struggle through this. But like, he, he stuck with the Lord. His heart was, was in the right place. So, and the Bible also doesn't uh, condemn saving. In fact, Proverbs 6 tells us to look at the ant and consider the ant, how, how she stores up her food in the harvest time so that she has some for the winter. And, and that's commended, uh, we're, we're to be like that ant. And so I'm not saying like, man, if you're a rich person, that's super bad. Or, or if you're saving up something for the future, like that's super bad. No, I'm not saying that. And the Bible's not saying that. But what the Bible is saying that if we love money, if we pursue money, that's a problem. Also, if we misuse money, like selfish hoarding, uh, which I think a lot of us, including myself, can be guilty of. Let's look at this, like just the, the desire for money. First Timothy chapter six, it's a very interesting chapter because in this chapter, you have this saying, God has given us all things richly to enjoy. And you're like, yeah, let's enjoy our stuff. But in the same chapter, listen to what it says about the desire for wealth. But those who desire to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. Like I said, the Bible condemns the misuse of wealth also, like selfish hoarding. We see this in Luke chapter 12, where there's this rich farmer who had a bumper crop. And so he says to himself, I'm going to tear down my, my old little barns. And I'm going to build bigger barns. And God calls him a fool. I think the reason that God calls him a fool is because there may have been neighbors who didn't have a bumper crop and their barns were where he should have been storing his excess, not building bigger ones for himself and selfishly hoarding that which God had blessed him with. All right, with that being said, let's get back to Jesus' argument and the passage at hand. Why should we not store up stuff on earth? First reason is the, the argument from common sense, we'll call it. And that argument from common sense is that stuff down here doesn't last. It all gets destroyed at some time or another. Uh, look again at verse 19. It says, uh, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Moths eat clothing. Clothing at the time of Jesus uh, preaching this sermon was a sign of wealth. If you had a lot of 
clothing, that was a sign of your prosperity. Well, moths eat that stuff. They, like, they love wool. And um, I mean, like even now, I put my wool blanket in a plastic bag and try to keep it from getting eaten by moths. Uh, the word translated rust literally means eating. And yeah, rust eats away at our stuff. Uh, I grew up in the Midwest. Every winter, rust ate away at our cars. Um, we, we know this to be true. But don't we also know that like, it's not just moth and rust. There's a ton of stuff that is after our stuff to destroy it. Hurricanes, flood, high winds, fires, mice and rats, uh, youth, time, sun fading, dry rot, accidents, dogs, dogs' accidents, um, <laughs> electrical surges, and if we're honest, even children. There's a lot of stuff that is attacking our stuff. Our treasures are being assaulted from every side. Um, and if by some miracle we manage to preserve our things in their pristine condition, then they can be stolen. Jesus says, yeah, down here, like thieves break in and steal. That's how it works. And if you haven't had stuff stolen from you personally, we all know someone who has had stuff taken out of their car or off their lawn or out of their house or whatever. That's just a reality down here. Our possessions are so vulnerable, but yet we try so hard to hold on to them. We preserve them. We, we, we buy mothballs and we get rust remover and we get mousetraps and smoke detectors and humidifiers and dehumidifiers and fireproof safes and insurance and con- climate controlled storage units. And we buy things like locks and security systems and security doors and security cameras and signs that say, this house protected by Smith and Wesson and signs that say, beware of dog and signs that say, forget the dog, beware of owner. We try so hard to hold on to our stuff. But the reality is that one day all of it will be lost because death is the great thief that strips us of everything. The reality is that there is no pods storage container in your funeral procession. You're not bringing this stuff with you. So even if you do somehow manage to keep it all in pristine condition and keep it away from the thieves, you're still going to lose it, but you're going to live forever. So the first argument is the argument of common sense. Jesus is saying, like, like the happiness it brings, the treasure down here doesn't last very long. And can I just suggest to you that if a moth can ruin your treasure, maybe what you're treasuring isn't treasure at all? <laughs> I mean, seriously, like a little moth is going to destroy your stuff or, or rust or our thief is going to take it. Like this isn't even real treasure. This stuff gets lost and dinged up and scratched and broken so fast. But yet we put a high value on it. I think that's kind of silly. Thankfully, Jesus offers us a significantly better alternative than to storing up more and more stuff down here. He says, store your treasure in God's heavenly house. Store your stuff in God's heavenly house. Verse 20, let's read it together. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. The location Jesus tells us to put our stuff is in heaven. Jesus knows that there are no moths and no rust and no thieves in heaven because he had lived there for a really long time before he told us this. 
And he's been up there quite a while after telling us this. Like, he's basically saying, like, look, I've been to heaven. I know what it's like. Your stuff will be safe, safe if you store it up there. Jesus doesn't want to take away your treasure. He wants to direct you where to store it. In fact, I mean, I really believe that like we're created with the desire to accumulate things. And I don't think that that's all bad. It's the location of where we're keeping our stuff that matters. Um, Jesus is calling us to store up treasure that lasts as long as our soul lasts. Treasure that will be available to us after death. So hopefully everybody's asking right now, what is heavenly treasure? What does it look like? I wish I could point you to a verse that says, heavenly treasure is composed of A, B, C, and D, but no such verse exists. Um, There is a real element in which we have to just take Jesus by faith and be like, yeah, I mean, I know Jesus. So if he's offering up, he's offering me some treasure in heaven, like it's probably way better than any treasure I could get down here. It's probably worth storing my treasure in heaven. Um, But I think the Bible does give us some indication of what this heavenly treasure may look like. For example, uh, a text like Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 27, where Jesus is saying, everyone who has given up houses or family members or, or farms, which would be like businesses, for my name's sake, will receive, quote, many times as much or a hundredfold, as some of our versions say, And in the context, he's talking about in the new world. That's when you receive that, in the new heavens and earth. So those those of us who have have given up things that are really valuable to us for Jesus' name's sake, for the advance of his agenda, his person, his kingdom, uh, Jesus is like, you're going to get many times more in the life to come. But I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, our physical bodies will be resurrected. Jesus' resurrection guaranteed that. And so if we have physical bodies in heaven, we will have physical material stuff. Like we will live in houses and and we will touch things. And it's not going to be like this strange ethereal place where we just float around and clouds and harps and all all of that stuff. Like we will have tangible items. So that very well could be what this treasure in heaven looks like. Whatever it is, you can bet your bottom dollar that it's better than any treasure down here. And not just because it's more durable up there, moth and rust and thieves can't get to it, but the quality of the treasure itself will be superior to any treasure that we can accumulate down here. The next question I hope you're asking is, well, how do I do this? Like, how do I lay up treasure in heaven? Um, It was super sweet. I have a daughter who's five years old. Her name's Bella. And she came up to me while I was studying. And uh, I was like, hey, Bella, how do you think you lay up treasure in heaven? She's like, well, you get your stuff and get it on an airplane and fly up to heaven and give it to God. I was like, that's super sweet, Bella. Um, Just the fuel bell would be crazy. Um, (laughs) That's not how we store up our treasure in heaven. But we should be asking this question. How do I store up treasure in heaven? Let me submit this to you. Jesus is by far the greatest treasure that we could ever have. And so as we are treasuring Jesus, things change. We see the world differently. Our priorities change. Uh, Like everything changes. Our, Our agenda becomes in line with Jesus' agenda when he is our greatest treasure. 
And so let me submit to you that if Jesus is your greatest treasure, then storing of treasure in heaven is just naturally happening because you're in line with, with his priorities, his kingdom, his agenda. And so it's just happening. You don't even have to think about it. You don't have to have a checklist. If you treasure Jesus, the treasure in heaven follows. But I think that the Bible does give us some examples um, of the sort of things that are in line with Jesus' a kingdom, Jesus' person, Jesus' agenda that do uh, that are rewarded by God in the form of heavenly treasure. And so let's just take a quick minute and, and look at some of these things. First, and this is right in this very chapter, a heart devoted to God and not to the praise of men will receive reward from God. We saw this in regard to our giving. If you give with a trumpet so everybody sees you giving, you have your reward in full. But if you give in secret, Jesus says your father will reward you. And that reward could come in this life. Very well good. But I also think it, it, part of it could come in the life to come in heaven. Um, it's the same thing with the way that we pray. I mean, if we're praying to make a show before people, Jesus is like, you got your reward. But if we're praying in our inner closet just to our father alone, then our father will reward us. And it's the same thing with our fasting. In fact, it's probably the same thing with all of what Jesus terms our righteousness that, that we practice, the good things that we do. When we do them with a heart of love for God and not a heart of look at me, then God says you'll be rewarded. And I think some of that's gonna be the, the heavenly treasure. Um, secondly, and this seems to be a predominant theme, another way that we lay up treasure in heaven is by being generous, especially to the poor and the marginalized. Uh, Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 17 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and the Lord will repay him for his good deed. Jesus in Luke 14, 13 said, but when you throw a, a feast or a, a dinner party, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. God will repay you. It's a little sobering to think about when the last time I had somebody who fit into that category over for dinner. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 21 Jesus is dealing with a rich young ruler and this guy came up to Jesus and said, hey, how do I get into heaven or how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. And the guy's like, yeah, I've been doing all that. And Jesus is thinking to himself, no, you haven't. Let me expose your idol. And so he says, okay, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus literally offered this guy to become the 13th disciple. Come, follow me. Just go give yourself, give your stuff to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And the guy went away sad or grieving, the, the, the Bible tells us, because he had a lot of stuff and he loved his stuff more than he loved the Lord. A uh, similar idea in Luke chapter 12 and verse 33, Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make for yourselves money belts, which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor moth destroys. It's a, a parallel passage to what we're looking at today. Um, disciples of Jesus are to be characterized by exceedingly great generosity. 
it's interesting to think like, man, if everything that I ever gave away was waiting for me in heaven, what would be there? <laughs> a stick of gum, <laughs> maybe a beer. <laughs> um, like we need to think through this though, because Jesus says like, if you are generous to the poor, the marginalized, like you're laying up treasure for yourself in heaven. A third way that we can lay up treasure in heaven is by standing up for Jesus in the midst of persecution. This is from the previous chapter, Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 11. Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Can I submit that that must be one heck of a reward if it produces joy and gladness while people are persecuting you and slandering you and saying all kinds of evil against you? Like if you can be happy through that, that that must be one heck of a reward. So stand up for Jesus. Don't be afraid to talk about him, even if like it's gonna be awkward and people are gonna be talking about you later and oh, that's that weird Jesus freak. Like, no, take a stand for Jesus. And if Jesus is like, that's one way to lay up treasure in heaven. And, and, I, and finally, a uh, fourth way, use your finances to help make disciples of Jesus. This is another way that we can lay up treasure in heaven. Luke chapter 16 and verse nine Jesus said, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. What Jesus is getting at here is like, use your money, use your possessions to advance the gospel so that when you show up in heaven, there'll be friends of yours there to receive you and welcome you. People who will be like, thank you so much for for giving um, to your church because through that ministry, like, and through the ministries that this, even like this church right here supports around the world, like the gospel's going out. And when the gospel went out, like God saved me through his gospel. So thank you for making that possible. You're gonna have friends in heaven. That's part of the treasure too. The people, like the souls, the eternal souls. Uh, maybe those will be like your your community group, you know, those that your money helped to reach them with the gospel. Uh, maybe that'll be like who you hang out with on Friday night. I don't know. But that is a way to lay up treasure in heaven and, and those friends that we make with our money um, as, as they, as helping the gospel go out, like that is part of the treasure as well. So store your stuff in God's heavenly house. Why? Because where your possessions are reveals who you really are. Not who you say you are, but who you really are. Where your stuff is reveals who you really are. That's what verse 21 teaches us. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The heart is the center of your being. The heart is the real you. It's what you really value, what you really believe, what you really want. And so if your treasure's on earth, your heart is going to be anchored to the earth with its anti-kingdom of God agenda. But if your treasure is being laid up in heaven, stored up in heaven, then your heart is going to be anchored to heaven and you will want to see the kingdom of heaven come on earth like Jesus taught us to pray. Idolatry is the real problem with storing up treasure on earth. Like when we're making our stuff more important to us than God is. Um, that's not okay. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in verse 24. Now, some of us are thinking, well, 
I mean, come on, Andrew. Like, I can kind of do both, right? Like, I can store up my treasure down here and at the same time use some of my resources, you know, and store up treasure in in heaven. Verse 24 answers your question. (laughs) No man can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. Um, That's just not the way it works. We'll talk about that more when we get to that verse. The message, uh, paraphrase of the Bible, I, I, I like how they paraphrase this verse um, they said, the place your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. I think we're really fooling ourselves if our stuff and our heart is anchored to this earth and it's anti-kingdom of God agenda, and then we die and all of a sudden our heart and our stuff are magically with God in heaven. It doesn't really work that way. Your God in life will be your God in death. So if you store up your treasure down here, you have your reward in full. But if you store up treasure in heaven, you're pursuing a much greater treasure. Don't settle for the lesser treasure. Can I, can I just ask you to trust Jesus on this? Like, don't settle for the treasure down here and just live your life devoting yourself to, to your stuff. That's silly. I really think that there's going to be conversations in heaven, you know, maybe around the campfire during the evenings or whatever. And it will be like, yeah, do you remember like how consumed I was with getting that new pickup? Like that was silly. Like that pickup's nothing compared to what we're enjoying up here. Uh, we're going to have a different value system when we are in heaven. And I pray that like that value system penetrates our hearts right now. Um, that as Jesus is our treasure, that we'll be more interested in storing up our treasure in heaven. Um, Man, so yeah, it's true that the location of your treasure reveals who you really are. In verses 22 and 23, Jesus gives us a short parable to show the truth of that, that statement. Let's read verses 22 and 23. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It's a a little bit tricky to understand exactly what's being said here. I'll do my best to explain it. Let me start out by saying most commentators today believe that this passage is saying that our eyes are like a, a window that lights that lets light in uh, through the eye. And so if you have a healthy eye, it's like you have a good clean window and light comes in through it and fills your whole body with light. But if you have a, a, a bad eye, then it's like the shutters are drawn and the light can't come in and fill your body so your body is full of darkness. But Jesus didn't say that the eye is the window of the body. Jesus said that the eye is the lamp of the body. And a lamp doesn't let light in. A lamp puts light out, (laughs) right? Um, So the reason Jesus said that the eye is the lamp of the body, I believe, is because first century people tended to believe that the eye contained a fire or a light and that this light was actually what made sight possible. They believed that the light which allowed sight came from within a person. In fact, this was historically the predominant theory of vision until about AD 1500. Um, 
we still have expressions of this theory of vision in our society today. So for example, like, you know, oh man, you should have seen his eyes light up when I gave him that gift. It's like this light within him came out through, through his eyes. That's how first century people thought about vision. Now, let me just say like, Jesus knows exactly how vision works because Jesus created the eye. <laughs> so, so it's not like Jesus is ignorant about how the eye works. Jesus is condescending to reach the people of his day in their understanding, to teach them a spiritual truth in terms that they understand. And so what does this mean then if the eye is the lamp and not just the window? It means that the light within the body is coming out through the lamp of the eye. So if your lamp is good, your eye lamp is good, which in Jewish literature can mean generous. If you have a good eye, that's a a generous eye. It shows that there's inner light from God within you. The light within you is coming out in the form of generosity. But if your eye lamp is bad, which in Jewish literature can mean stingy, then it shows that there's actually darkness within you. Um, God is light and there is no darkness within him. And if God has come to dwell within you, then there should be light in you and it should express itself. It should come out of you through generosity, which is a way to lay up treasure in heaven. If you're a stingy person, it shows that God's light has not yet penetrated you and there's darkness within. The final part of the verse says, if that light within you is actually darkness, how great is that darkness? I think what Jesus is getting at is if you think like, oh yeah, like I'm a generous person, but you're actually a stingy person, you're deceived. And so you're really in a lot of darkness. Um, I hope that that kind of makes sense of, of what Jesus is saying here. I know that's a, a, maybe a little bit different take on, on what you've heard before. I'm not saying like this is absolutely has to be the way it is, but I think it really makes sense with the predominant theory of how vision worked that the first century hearer would have believed that the eye is a lamp. And so if your eye is generous, if you're a generous person, it shows there's light within and it comes out. But if your eye is stingy, bad, it shows that there's darkness within. So Jesus is showing us here that who you are inside is revealed by where your treasure is. If your treasure is just flowing out of you like a generous person, it shows that God has transformed your heart. God's light has entered you as it were. So store your stuff in God's heavenly house because where your possessions are reveals not only who you are, but also whose you are who you belong to. Verse 24 tells us this. It says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus isn't saying you can't serve two employers. A lot of you do that. Um, Many of us have more than one job and and you can usually make that work. I mean, it might be a little tricky if both of them are like, yeah, come in at nine o'clock Monday morning. Like, uh, okay. Um, But Jesus isn't saying you can't serve two employers. He's saying you can't serve two masters, slaveholders. Slavery is the imagery here. The reason you can't serve two masters is because a master or a slaveholder has total ownership of you and total control of your actions. And so if the masters have conflicting demands, you can only serve one. 
you'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And it doesn't take Jesus long to get to his main point. You cannot serve God and money. That's the main point of of what Jesus is talking about here with these masters. Now, Jesus doesn't say you can't try to serve both. I think to some extent we all try. He just says you can't. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. Now, (laughs) some of you are, are thinking like, wait a second. I'm an American. I ain't a slave to nobody. You are. No, for real, you are. Think, think about it with me for a few minutes. Everyone is a slave to someone or something because we all give our time, our attention, our devotion, and our resources to whatever we think will bring us the most happiness or, or, or give us what we want. Let me give a few common examples from our society. Sometimes we devote ourselves to money and possessions because they will give us security. Others of us devote ourselves to comfort because that'll make me like really happy if I'm just a comfortable person. Um, others of us devote ourselves to our career because that'll give me significance. Others of us devote ourselves to the right physical image because that'll give me the attention that I want and deserve. Uh, some of us devote ourselves to entertainment because that will give me Uh, relief from all the stress and anxiety in my life. So the question is not, will you be a slave? The question is, whose slave will you be? That's really the question. God says, I want all of you. I want all your time, all your attention, all of your devotion, all of your resources. Is this not the great commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, This is the greatest and foremost commandment, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37. But our idols demand the same thing from us. Think about that rich young ruler again. Comes up to Jesus and and Jesus is like, yeah, just, you know, sell your stuff, give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me as a a 13th disciple. And the guy went away sad because he had a lot of possessions. And the reality is that he loved and devoted himself and served those possessions more than he wanted to love and devote himself and serve Jesus. This guy had integrity, though. He at least went away sad. I think a lot of us try to serve both. We can't serve both. It's very clear, no man, no person can serve two masters, and you are not the grand exception to that. At death, money will leave you. But if God has been your master, he will welcome you. Money says, you never have enough. J- just a little bit more. Work a little bit harder. Do a little bit more so you can have a little bit more. God, as our master, says, I'm more than enough for you. I- I'm actually everything that your heart truly longs for and-, and desires. So compare the masters for a second. One's gonna leave you. One demands just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just just work a few more hours. Just Just get a little bit better job. Just... And, 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 and the other says, I'm all you need. I'm all you've ever needed. 
In fact, God is the kindest and best master that we could ever have. He actually treats us like his own sons and daughters. He promises to provide for all of our needs. And get this, he actually stoops down to serve us. Think of Jesus before he went to the cross. He's there washing his disciples' filthy feet. That's their master, washing their feet. And then, I mean, that was just a small foretaste of what was about to happen. Then he serves not only them, but also all of us who have put our faith in him by going to the cross, literally serving us to the point of death and, 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 and like a really excruciating death. That's how far he descends to serve you. He is a much better master than anything else you could ever have as, as a master. So which master are you serving? Are you serving the almighty God or the almighty dollar? Here's a great way to find out if you're a parent. Maybe some evening around the dinner table, ask one of your kids. Like if you're a dad, be like, hey, what does daddy really like? What is daddy passionate about? What are daddy's priorities? And then just shut up and listen. I did this with my five-year-old this last week, and it made me cry a little bit. But they know the truth. They're watching. They know where our hearts really are. They know what we're serving. If you don't have kids, you can just look at where you're spending and where your time, where you're devoting yourself, and that'll show you who your God really is. But you can't serve both God and money. God and anything else, really. God will have no competitors. I mean, John Calvin said, all are deceived who imagine that God will be satisfied with half of their heart. God will have no rivals. And he shouldn't have any rivals. He's God. Everything else is created. He's the creator. There's a huge categorical difference here. But yet we get so excited about the created garbage. Let's get excited about the creator. He is offering himself to you. He's saying, I want a relationship with you. I want you to be one of my children, part of my family. I want to serve you. My son has served you by dying for you. And so I would just say today, like, like if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, spend some time just thinking through who you really want to serve, especially in light of the fact that you will live forever. Do you really want to serve the master of more stuff, it's going to be taken from you at death. Or do you want to serve the master who welcomes you at death? Doesn't leave you like, like money and all of our stuff will. So how will you respond to this passage? Um, will you respond like the rich young ruler who went away sad because he had a lot of stuff and he really loved his stuff? I hope not. I hope not. I hope that you will surrender all to Jesus, giving him the first place in your heart, making him the master of your life and making him your greatest treasure. He's worthy of that position. Will you listen to the great financial advisor and stop storing and hoarding and accumulating more and more stuff down here and instead get active in investing treasure in heaven? I hope you will. 
I hope you will follow Jesus' advice, uh, Jesus' command in, in this text. Because the reality is, in Jesus' economy, whoever dies with the most toys loses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are our greatest treasure. Whether we acknowledge it or not, like you are the best treasure a person could ever have. Um, I pray that we would all acknowledge that today, that we would see Jesus for the, the beautiful person that he is, that we would realize how far he has condescended to serve us, even to the point of death, paying, paying the debt that we deserved through his death on the cross so that we could become your children. Um, Father, help us to get a right perspective on this, this issue of our stuff. Help us to not buy into this, um, uh, like, this American dream crap that just says you know, whoever dies with the most toys wins. And it's foolish. Help us to get serious about storing up our treasure in heaven. Um, man, help us to love Jesus more. Because I, I really feel like the more that we love him, the more we treasure him, like the treasure in heaven is just going to follow. So we love him. Help us to love him more. Amen.